We're going to be uh, continuing on in the Sermon on the Mount. I'll be reading from there in a minute, verse 31. Lord, I thank you for your word, for your timeless truths that don't change. They don't change with culture. They don't change through man's opinions and different ways that he twists things and makes things be what he wants them to be, never what you intended it to be. I thank you, Lord. Your word endures forever. And it's by that word, the word world will be judged because you are the word, Jesus. And you will judge the word and the world and everyone will be judged by what you think, by what you said. Not by what I think, not by man's opinions, but by what you said. And that's all that matters, Lord. So help us to hear what you're saying. Not what the multitudes are saying, not what most of the church world has embraced, but what you have said and are saying. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. Not our own natural reasoning minds, not our fleshly desires, not the things that we want to tickle our ears but the things that you are saying and have said. And I pray, Lord, you would give us hearts to respond to you. Don't let us just be here as I pray your word would penetrate and do what you desire. Don't, don't let us be like the Pharisees. Soften our hearts. Help us to approach your word with meekness so that it might save our souls. So God, speak to us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This was one of those topics, I'll be honest with you. I just wanted to skip over. Didn't want to deal with it. It's caused a lot of controversy right here in this church. But God, or Jesus, God, didn't skip over it. In his sermon, so I can't. So we're going to be looking at Matthew 5, verse 31. And the title of my message today is A Sacred Union. A Sacred Union. And if you want to add on to that, What God has joined together, let not man put asunder. Or let not man separate. Matthew 5.31 Furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. So let's remember the context of what Jesus is doing here in this portion of his sermon. He isn't comparing the law of Moses. 
to what he's saying. He's not doing a comparison. He's straightening out some false interpretations that the Pharisees had made of the law. And it's nothing new under the sun. It started in the garden. It's still going on today. Man takes what God has said and we add on, has he really said? And then we make it to say what we want it to say because we want what we want. The human heart is deceitful. We cannot trust it. He addressed this in two other places in more detail. So I want to go there. In Mark 10, he addressed it, but also in Matthew 19. And so I want to look at it in a more detailed way. He basically says the same thing in here, but he expounds on it a little bit more. So go ahead and turn. And I would encourage you, I mean, we have the words up there, but please open your Bible if you have your Bible. Hopefully you know where that is. I've counseled so many Christians, they don't know where to turn in their Bible, which is kind of unsettling and really is just a reality of what we are facing today in the church. People not understanding what God has said. Just going on opinions and, well, this is what I heard here. Or, you know, not understanding the whole counsel of God, not being Bereans, not really digging down. God, what are you saying? I need to know what you said. So here in Matthew 19, it says in verse 1, Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings, that he departed from Galilee and he came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan and great multitudes followed him and he healed them there. Then the Pharisees also came to him and they were testing him. And they said to him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Then they said to him, Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? That's what we do. He said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I'm saying to you, do you hear God? Are you listening to him? Or your own voices or someone else's voice? Do you hear what he is saying? I'm saying to you, 
God in the flesh. This is what I'm saying to you. I don't care what you've heard. I ask the Lord to help me today because I know some people will say, oh, he's angry. I'm not angry. This is serious. And it's not just about divorce. It's so much broader than that. Because we've done it with almost everything else. Especially the gospel. But I say to you, Whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. And then his disciples said, if such is the case of the man with his wife, it's better not to marry. In other words, if I have to stay with someone and I can't get rid of her, Except for this one reason, I might as well just not even get married. This is a hard saying. Man, Jesus. Kind of narrow-minded, isn't it? This is a hard saying. Jesus said a lot of hard things. So... Let's go back to verse 3 here. They were testing him. You know why? Because there was a big commotion in Jesus' day. There was two schools of thought. There were followers of a man named Hillel, a doctor of the law in Jerusalem in the time of King Herod. Um, and he taught that a guy could divorce his wife for any little thing if she burned the biscuits in the morning. He'd send her away. If she got on his nerves in the morning, I said that because <laughs> I'm not a morning person. I looked at my wife. She smiled at me. <laughs> she doesn't get on my nerves. It's me. I'm the problem. I love you. The other guy, Shammai, I think that's how you say it, his rival or contemporary, he allowed it only for adultery. Really, they both had it wrong because the law never talked about divorce for adultery because if you were an adulterer, you were stoned. And that basically would end the marriage. <laughs> but he said to them, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female. And he said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. So he brings them back to God's original intent and design for marriage. He's reminding them, let's, this was not what it was supposed to be from the beginning. He's emphasizing the sanctity of marriage, which they had just taken down to 
a level that God had never intended it to be, just like we have done today. We're no different. You just watch it. It just, it's man. We just go that way. So Jesus is lifting it back up to the level God intended it to be. He goes back beyond the law of Moses to the law that was given by God at the very beginning. When God created woman to be a helpmeet for the man, he made that pronouncement. God said, they will be one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. Marriage is not a civil contract. It's not a sacrament like the Catholic Church likes to make it. It's two people becoming one flesh. There is an indissolvability about it. And Jesus goes right back to that great principle. Then, of course, they got to come back. I have been through this more times than you would know. But what about this? But what about that? But what about this? Why then did Moses give a certificate of divorce to put her away? Can you tell me, Jesus? Is that really what God said? Didn't he say we could put our spouse away and give a certificate of divorce? Because man's always looking for a way. Somehow I can get around what God really said. So he said, he gave you this because your hearts are hard. He permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. You hear it that they're making it sound like God commanded through Moses for them to get divorces. He didn't. But we do the same thing, I'm telling you. How many times we've sat in our office, God told me. Did he? He told you something contrary to his word? Really? You heard from him? You sure? The law of Moses never commanded anyone to get a divorce. I have never in my life counseled anyone to get a divorce. I simply give them the word of God, and I let them make that decision before God. That's all I can do as a pastor and a counselor. It's only one reason. He was basically saying, if you want to divorce your wife, you should only do it under these conditions. Now, to understand what that meant, we have to go back to Deuteronomy 24. Where it says in verse 1, when a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes. And there is the verse. See, if I get up in the morning and she burns the biscuits... I can put her away. See, she did did something I didn't like. 
They really would do that, by the way. I don't know if it was biscuits. <laughs> but it was like for the most frivolous things. But here's the key. Because he has found some uncleanness in her. Oh, oh we left that part out. And then he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, sends it her out of his house when she is departed from his house and goes and becomes another man's wife. If the latter husband detests her and writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand and sends it out of her house, or if the latter house a husband dies who took her as a wife, then her former husband who divorced her must not take her back to be his wife after she has been defiled. That would be an abomination before God. And you shall not bring sin on the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. One thing to notice here is that in the law, the word adultery, again, isn't mentioned there, is it? Because they were stoned for that. The whole object of this law, you know what it was for? To control it. Because they were totally out of control. Like I said, they were just for any little thing. God was trying to rein them in. It was introduced in order to control a situation that was also grossly unfair to the woman. Because before this, they would just put her out and not even give her a certificate. And then she was thrown out and maybe could be called an adulteress or whatever and left destitute. So God was actually thinking of the person that would be and the children that would suffer from it. I can't tell you the heartache we have seen for 28 years. Divorce is horrible. That's why God hates it. We have seen families and children devastated. It's never good. Divorce brings with it suffering. It was only to be permitted when there was some natural, moral, or physical defect discovered in the wife. All the various excuses, I'm reading now out of a commentary, but it's good, so I'm going to read it. It dismissed all the frivolous, superficial, unjust reasons, restricting it to one particular matter. The second thing it enforced was that, was that any man who thus divorced his wife must give her a bill of divorcement for the reasons I just said. So divorce was made something formal, something serious, the idea to oppress upon the minds of those people that it was a solemn step, something that should not be undertaken lightly, in a moment of passion, when a man suddenly felt like he disliked his wife and wanted to get rid of, her, rid of her, in this way, the seriousness of marriage was emphasized. Now, 
here we are in Jesus' time and things again have digressed. And so he's dealing with the same thing. They, started, they were doing the same thing in his day. What would Jesus think now if he was here? You know what mattered to the men in Jesus' day? That they gave the certificate of divorce. They, like, majored on that because they were so legalistic. Well, I did that, man. I, I wrote the certificate. And they neglected the whole weightier issue of the heart. Because divorce is a heart issue. That's what the whole sermon here is getting at. It's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. So let's get back to the main verse here. I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. There's only one cause for divorce. There's one. Only one. And that's unfaithfulness by one party. And I just want to say this. This term fornication, it's inclusive. It's physical. It's unfaithfulness on one part of the marriage to another. And it goes back to the whole one flesh thing. And Paul addresses that when he talks about when we give ourselves to a harlot, we become one flesh. There's something very deep that happens there. And it violates that covenant between a man and his wife. It's very, that's why sexual sin is, is horrible. It's detestable. Divorce, again, has been one of those topics here at this church that in some ways has brought a lot of controversy, wouldn't you say? I had someone say to me, well, you got a lot of people coming here dealing with that. What are you going to do? Oh, well, I guess I'll change what Jesus said since we have more of that here because we get a lot of people here that are coming out of situations where a marriage has been split because of sin. Oh, we'll just modify things. I had a friend, a pastor friend, text me two days ago while I was studying this. It wasn't about marriage, but it was about a relationship. He's a pastor, and he said, I got a question for you. Is it sin for a Christian lady to be pursuing seriously a man that is not a Christian? And I was like, why is he asking me this? But I get it. I've been there as a pastor. You're like, okay, I just want to make sure I'm not being, because I knew that's what he believed. But he was just checking himself. I get it. But then he went on and he says, it's the worship leader in the church. And all the elders don't see it that way. And it's also one of the elders' daughters. That's the stuff 
that makes me want to sit down and cry. Because that's where we've come to. That's just common. And that's what I'm telling you. I hear this stuff over and over and over again. And it must break the heart of God. I told him, I said, to me it shows a serious issue with her relationship with the Lord, if there is one. Why a Christian woman would want to pursue a man that doesn't love God and isn't pursuing God is beyond me. Something's very wrong. If that's the case. And we've been there how many times? Oh, but, you know, I know uh, it's God put me in his life. You know, I'm going to win him to the Lord. Okay. You are in for a hard road. And what will happen is they will just pull you away from the Lord. There's actually a warning about that in Scripture, in Deuteronomy 7, where God's warning the children of Israel. He goes, when the Lord your God brings you into a land which you go to possess, don't make marriages with them. You should not give your daughter to their son nor the daughter to your son, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. I've seen this happen over and over and over again. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you. And destroy you suddenly. For you are a people, a holy people, to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself. A special treasure above all the peoples of the face of the earth. You represent me. We're told as we're a chosen generation. What's the world see when they look at us? Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. What fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? God does care about your relationships very, very much. More than you understand. You really need to understand the importance of what Jesus is teaching here in these verses. It was actually important in the early church, too. Because what happened was people are getting saved, but maybe the spouse isn't, and they're into pagan worship, they're into idolatry. And so now they're like, okay, I'll just, I, I shouldn't be, you know, they're trying to do the right thing, but they're like, all right, man, I got to divorce this person. I'm unequally yoked. And Paul's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute. And he had to address it in 1 Corinthians 7, 10 through 15. He says, now to the marry I commend, yet not I, but the Lord, a wife is not to depart from her husband. Even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. 
And a husband is not to divorce his wife, but to the rest, I say, not the Lord. If any brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to, uh, willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife. The unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. So again, Paul's dealing with a situation here. He's teaching these people that the husband or the wife wasn't to leave that unconverted person if they were willing to stay with them. So you see that not even that was a ground for divorce. So what does that say to today? Oh, well, we're just incompatible. We just don't get along. What's more incompatible compa- than a believer and an unbeliever. And Paul's saying, don't do it. Stay with them. So according to modern ideas, oh yeah, man. This for sure is a case for divorce. But no. The plain teaching of scripture is that even this is not a grounds for divorce. Don't leave the unconverted one, says Paul. But if he departs, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. Now, this isn't actually maybe saying that means you can remarry. Again, we want to stretch things. Because remember in the beginning, he's like, stay unmarried. Like, that person might come to the Lord, and there might be a chance for reconciliation. Jesus said only adultery can end a marriage, and obviously death would end a marriage. So maybe, unless that unbeliever remarries first, then maybe which would be considered adultery on their part. So what is the effect of what Jesus is teaching here? The law was a temporary legislation for the children of Israel because of their unusual circumstance. But now Jesus revokes it. And he says, now it's only for this. Now he's saying it's only the case of adultery is legitimate for divorce. See, we think somehow in the New Testament, God like releases us from all the the law and all that kind of stuff that God intended for us to honor. Because it, it gets heavier because now it becomes a heart issue. That's what the whole Sermon on the Mount is pointing to. And that points us to the cross. It helps us to see our need for the cross and for repentance and for the blood of Christ. Two results of his teaching would be that men and women wouldn't be stoned anymore. Praise the Lord. Aren't you glad? (laughs) 
And if you want to do anything, if there's adultery, you can get a divorce. That's what he's saying. You won't be killed. <laughs> we can go further and say that divorce has ended the marriage. This man or woman is now free, entitled to remarry. There's people that would differ on that. Divorce puts an end to this connection. Our Lord himself says so. His relation to that woman is the same as she was dead. And this innocent man or woman is therefore maybe entitled to remarry. But he alone is in that position, not the guilty party. Ooh, that's another hard saying. You have heard that it was said, but I'm saying to you, do we care? So we understand, right, the disciples. If this is the case of the man with his wife, it's better not to marry. And I would, you know, when we counsel people that are getting married, this is the stuff we talk about. We try to help them understand, right, the seriousness of what they're entering into and that when it does get hard, because it will get hard, you can't just bolt. And, you know, with the gospel, even if there is adultery, there still should be reconciliation sought, especially if there's repentance. I wouldn't be married if that was so. And I'm thankful my wife was obedient to God, not her feelings and not her Christian friends. We wouldn't be married if she listened to her Christian friends. She heard what God said, not what her friends said. Oh, you deserve something better, Rose. And she did. I was definitely no prize. I'm still not. But God has joined us together. We're one. Such a rigid marriage law was too high for their loose Jewish understanding of what marriage had become. And they were basically like, this is impossible. I might as well not even try to do this. And see, this is what we do with the requirements. Go through the Sermon on, we read the Sermon on the Mount. We say, this is impossible. How can I do this? How do I lay down everything? How do I give my whole life to God? This is too hard. This is a hard saying. In one place, when Jesus said something hard to understand, it says many of his disciples went back and they walked with him no more. We've had a lot of people leave this church because they didn't like what the word of God said to them. I don't want to even say me. Because what I tell people all the time, your problem's not with me. Your problem's with what Jesus said. 
That's why I love biblical counseling. That's where the true authority in biblical counseling comes from. It's the word of God. It's not someone's opinion. When I listened to that message last night, a heart of anguish, if you have the courage to, I would encourage you to listen to that. You, it will pierce your heart. That's all I can say. And he said something in there, and it really helped me, because I struggle sometimes with feeling like I'm hard. And then, you know, people like making comments. But um, I have to do what God tells me to do. I know what I see. I know what I've seen from sin and people's rebellion, and I've seen it over and over and over again. I've wept over people. I've wept over what I've seen, what happens in families and children and people's lives because of sin. It bothers me when I go out into the highways and byways and I see people groping Lost when I see the kids like at Meadowview and I think about things that could be happening to them. And then I think about everything God sees every moment all over the world, things we could not imagine. What is that like for him? And it's all sin. It's all because of man's rebellion. Sin is horrible, it's ugly, it's detestable to God. And that's why it produces nothing but pain and suffering suffering and anguish. And that's the anguish that drove Jesus to the cross. And that's the anguish that should drive us to the cross. When we share his heart, when we share his anguish, Some things need to be said, no matter what the, co- the consequence. And he said, what helped me, he said, he said, he was so, he's so broken in this message. He said, because he loves his congregation, just like I love you. And he's like, I wish I had more happy messages for you. But this is what God's giving me. You guys get dessert once in a while. But I'll tell you what, as hard and difficult it was listening to that message, I was also encouraged by it. See, people that don't want to hear truth or, or just, how do I say it? I don't know, how, are unbroken maybe? They don't understand even what that means. It makes me know I'm loved when God disciplines me and deals with me. And uh, I didn't even feel disciplined last night. If anything, I saw how wonderful God is. And I saw his love displayed in his anguish over people through a man. 
And it just made me want to love God more. And it made me want to fellowship in that suffering with him. Like, I don't want God to just feel like he's got to go through that alone. And I know, you know, I'm making him maybe like me. But there's something about entering in to that with him. Again, I can't describe it to you. You have to ask him for that. You have to say, God, give me your heart. Lord, let me feel what you feel. For people that are perishing, God, let me experience it. So it'll make me love you with everything. It won't, it'll keep me from holding back anything, Lord. It'll give me the same passion you had to give yourself for anybody. To go through whatever I have to go if I could just rescue one. He said, he said, you know, all this talk of revival and all this talk and hoopla and all that. It's nothing without a heart of anguish. Because heart of anguish is what precedes that. And it's all over scripture and it's all over history. God places a high and sacred value on relationships, especially ours with him. And that's what he made real to me as well. Um, It helped me to see a little better when I turned to other things beside him. When I still play the harlot in some ways with the world when he has married me when he has given everything for me when he wants a union with me that I can't even put into words with you and I treat that like a light thing like it's nothing like it has no value because I turn to something that's worthless That separates me from that union. Because that's what sin does. You know, when God instituted marriage in the Garden of Eden, it was a picture of what he wants with us. What he had with us before our rebellion It says in Ephesians 5.30, we are members of his body, of his flesh, of his bones. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a great mystery. I'm speaking to you of Christ and the church. I'm speaking about you and your relationship with God. One with him. What value? Are we placing on that? What God has joined together, let not man separate. Sin is such a serious matter. We can't gloss over it in our lives. Again, that's what caused man to be severed from that blessed union with God. It's what caused Jesus to die on a cross to restore that relationship. 
We've been talking a lot about the Holy Spirit giving Him greater influence and control in our lives. Friday night was such a blessing. What a blessing it is to be filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit. What a great testimony. What a witness for Christ. When He's ruling and reigning in our hearts, in our lives. And God is looking for people like that. That want Him in that way. There's only one thing that's going to hinder that. Jesus said to his disciples, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever shall lose his life for my sake will find it. You know what the cause is for most divorces? A hard, unbroken, unyielded heart. It's the opposite of a heart that's been broken and that is pliable to the Master's hands. We are called, in light of the mercies of God, to give up our lives as a living sacrifice. I'm so thankful for my wife. But she suffered a lot because of my sin. I drug my marriage vows through the mud. But I watched her battle through. Did she want to leave me many times? Absolutely. Did she have it in many times? Absolutely. Did I deserve it? Absolutely. But I watched her battle it through, battle it through with God all night sometimes in prayer, in the Word of God. God, what are you saying? My friends are saying this. My own husband's father is saying this. But God, I need to know what are you saying? What would happen if we did that? God, what are you saying? What are you saying, God? I need to know what you're saying. I want to do what you want me to do. I want to do what's pleasing to you. (laughs) God. (sighs) What would happen if we did that? In the littlest details, in everything, what would happen? God would fill these temples. He would overflow our lives like never before. Because he would have total possession of us, which is what he wants. If you would have looked at me on the outward, I got worse and worse. I was like the devil himself. 
And the more she chose to love me and forgive me, it was like those hot coals being dumped over my head till the point I couldn't take it no more. I knew God was real from what I saw. That's what people need to see now. That's not going to happen until we say, God, what are you saying? What are you saying I got to do? Not what I want, Lord. Not even what my heart's telling me. My feelings, my circumstances. God, what do you want me to do? I'm not going to do anything till I know what you say. When you do that, he will give you the grace to do it. That's the possible with God. That's what that means. When you yield everything, when you surrender your will, that's when God steps in and you do what you thought was impossible. You go through what you didn't think you could go through. And God begins to do miracles. That's what we need now. He that forsaketh not all cannot be my disciple, cannot be like me. Oh, this is a hard saying, Pastor. I don't know. Sacrifice everything? Die, lay down my life like Jesus did? This is impossible. No. With God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. Do you believe that? It's my testimony. I tried everything to get free from my sin. I tried the Christian thing. It didn't work. I tried the outward form of religion. It didn't work. It wasn't until I was broken. And I said, God, I don't care about anything anymore. I'm yours. I'm not holding back anything. I understand now what you did for me. And I, how could I keep my life from you? All I could say is, he broke things in my life that to me were impossible. And that was just the start. And whatever I'm looking at today is no different. Whatever you're looking at today is no different. And this is an everyday thing. I made that surrender 29 years ago now. And I make it every day. Every day I get up, I have to make a conscious decision. It's not about me, Lord. It's not about my will. What do you want today? What do you want? My heart is breaking. <laughs> I'm tired of seeing people go in and out of here. I'm tired of seeing people drift away and watch them be taken away from what I know God is pulling them into, trying to. How much more the Lord? But he won't make us. He can't make us. 
we have to respond to His voice. And it's simple. Whatever Jesus is dealing with you about, you need to let it go. Even if it's your own life. That means everything, by the way. I pray you'll begin to see what Jesus has prepared for you when you do that. Namely, his life indwelling you. A costly exchange that he paid for. That sacred union that he desires to have with each and every one of us. And Lord, I pray this morning, don't let us squirm out of your hand that is upon us. Lord, I pray for anyone listening to this that the Holy Spirit, the hound of heaven, would give no rest until you have them the way you're wanting them. Lord, I pray you will speak clearly, just like you did to the young rich ruler, whatever it is. There'll be no second guessing. Because you know what's in people's hearts. And I pray, oh God, that you would begin to expose the deep things that we still are holding on to about our lives, what we want, our desires, that would go against what you said, what you desired. Lord, I pray none would settle for nothing less than you having them in the way you want them. Even though they don't want you in that way. We don't. I don't as much as I should. But you do. We have so many pictures of that in Scripture. Especially in the book of Hosea. You Pursuing a harlot. Someone who thinks they can find happiness in this or that or a relationship or money or whatever. No, Lord. It's only you, the one we're going to be married to for all eternity that matters. So God, I pray you would rid us of all the hindrances to that blessed union you desire with us. And Lord, I'm trusting you to let your word do its work. I'm trusting you that people are going to go home and they're going to get before you. They're not just going to walk out of here and try and somehow shrug this off and Hopefully by tomorrow, Tuesday, I won't feel what I'm feeling right now. No, Lord, give them no rest. Give me no rest. You know what I asked you last night. 
although there's some fear there, I want it. Because it's what you want. So Lord, have your way. In Jesus' name I pray.